Thanks for joining us on the Southside Church Podcast. We seek to build real followers of Jesus, so we hope that you find this message both encouraging and insightful. Let's jump in. Well, hello. Thanks for joining us today. We, uh, we are happy that we can share a little time together here in the service uh, time. We're going to jump right into our content today. We are in a, a message series called Living as the... Uh, I'm sorry, a message series titled Unfinished. The sermon today, the message today, our content today is going to be uh, titled Living as the Church. And so we're going to talk mainly to believers, but, but I believe there's content here that, that will speak to the non-believer as well, somebody who maybe doesn't have a relationship with Christ. But we're going to talk about what it looks like, according to God's word, for the church to be active together, for what, what it looks like for us to do life together, not only with people in the context of our faith, but also outside of the context of our faith. And so we're going to jump right in into this unfinished living as the church uh, message today. And we're going to be looking at the beginning of the church in Acts 2. We can see, in Acts 2, we can see what it looks like when followers of Jesus are living as the church. They're not, they're not just living, they're living as the church. They've, they've given their life to Christ and they have decided that, that this way, that they called it the way, the, they, they decided to sell out to Christianity and we're going to follow Jesus with everything we have. We're going to look at in Acts 2, the very beginning of the church, and how this group of people set the stage for where we are today. And so there were several several very distinct characteristics we can see here that I believe are, are, are critical to the church today as we live and, and, and serve and love people together as a church. See, this is a, a supernatural, the, the word supernatural is a great way for us to describe how the church, how God began the church in the New Testament. And there were words like confused, astounded, amazed, perplexed. They were, those were the words that were used to describe what the people felt as they, uh, as they were looking on at the beginning of this movement. And in Acts 2, we see the start of the church, and, and it was a little different from what people were accustomed to. Acts was a lot different than what people were accustomed to then. And people involved in this, in this beginning of this movement kind of stood out from the crowd. And so God moved in a way that was very clear, that there was something different about his followers this didn't happen on just one day or even one day a week. This was a movement that changed their lives forever. And here's the cool thing. If you're a part of a local church today, if you're a follower of Christ, you are a part of that today. And so looking at the beginning of, of Acts 2, we're going to jump right into uh, this content and, and see these different characteristics that I believe stand out about the church the first one is worship. When we see in Acts 2, we're going to pick up, if you've got a Bible you want to read along, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2. We're going to start, we're going to, the passage uh, that we're going to cover will pick up in verse 42. But previous to this, uh, Jesus has been, uh, he, he's been, he's been crucified, he's resurrected, he's appeared, and, and he, his group of followers, there's about 120 of them, according to scripture, there's 120 of them, and they're, they're basically locked up in a room together, and they're kind of afraid, and they're kind of panicked, and they don't know what to do, and Jesus comes in, and, and we've talked about Acts 1, uh, where Jesus comes in, and he basically gives some pretty clear instructions as to, this is what I want you to do, this is who I've called you to be. And so they're 
they're, they're getting, they're getting kind of, okay, getting a little pep in their step maybe, and they step out, and, 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 and this, this supernatural event happens where uh, the Holy Spirit comes in, sounds like a rushing wind, and tongues of, tongues of fire falling on their shoulders, and this group of people that were from all over the place start to speak different languages, and the other people that are also from a lot of different places, the diversity was really cool, there's people all over that they're hearing the gospel message, they're hearing the things of God in their own tongue, in their own languages, in their native dialect. And so they're, they're like, oh man, what is going on? We're hearing these magnificent stories. And so Peter, being one of the disciples, one of the followers of Christ, he sees an opportunity to stand up and share a message. And Peter stands up and he basically presents the gospel. And he kind of culminates it all down into this one statement towards uh, in, in, the, in the middle part of the passage, uh, in chapter two rather. And Peter says, hey, to, to you Jews, this Jesus that you crucified is both Lord and Messiah. He is the one, the one that we've been talking about for a very long time, the Messiah, the promised one. He, this Jesus is that one. He is that man. And so the people, they're, they, they're hearing this and, and, and scripture says that they were convicted, deeply convicted, and they asked the question, brothers, what must we do? They're asking, this is their response to the gospel. Hey, we've heard the gospel, we've heard, and the Holy Spirit has convicted our hearts that we know that we're far from God. We've, there's, this diff, there's this separation between us and God based on our sin, and Jesus is the one who came to, to bridge that gap and offers us forgiveness. And what do we do now, they ask. And Peter goes, repent and be baptized. And so scripture says that, that the church went from 120 people to 3,120 people. He, the Lord added 3,000 people to the church that one day. And so then we get to verse 42 and we see one of the first characteristics of the early church. I believe one of the characteristics of the church today is, is worship. There's four, cap, uh, four distinct categories within this worship that I'm going to talk about today. And one of those is teaching. But verse 42 says they, they devoted themselves. These are the people who had just responded. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayer. To apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So in the worship, in this worship, this idea of brown worship, there's four different aspects of it we'll look at. The first one is teaching. It says they devoted themselves to the teaching, the apostles' teaching. They were pressing into God's word. They, this is about having a close personal relationship with scripture, applying it to our lives so that we can become more like Jesus every day. For the follower of Christ, the, the, the devoting ourselves to the teaching is reading God's word, having a, having a, a daily uh, relationship, personal, deep, deepening, growing relationship with scripture, with God's word to transform our lives through his Holy Spirit as we read it, understand it, and apply it to our lives so that we can be more like Christ each and every day. So they devoted themselves to this teaching. They devoted themselves to fellowship. And his fellowship, this was about showing love and grace to each other as they served and lived and loved together in biblical community. So these are all people that may not have known each other very well. They kind of didn't have a whole, maybe not a whole lot of relationship as far as friends and, and, and being together. But now they've got this thing in common. They've got this relationship with Jesus in common. And so they're, they're fellowshipping. They're showing love. They're getting along with each other. They're, they're serving each other in biblical community. 
He says that they were breaking bread, the breaking of bread. And this is communion. This is a a memorial of the sacrifice that Christ made when he gave his life on the cross. This is a reminder of his body being broken, broken for us, the blood that his blood that was shed for the forgiveness of our sin. And this was more of a regular practice. This wasn't, you know, a lot of churches do a communion service. This this breaking of the bread, this moment of communion was was more at every meal, taking a moment to recognize the gift of life that they have, the freedom that they had based on the sacrifice that Jesus had just made on the cross not too long before this. And the last thing he says is they gave them, they devoted themselves to the prayer. Prayer, both public and private, this was a, about a private devotion and practice of prayer. A, a, a private devotion, uh, a discipline, if you will, of prayer in my personal life, and a corporate commitment to praying together as a body of believers, as a church. Praying for one another, praying with one another, praying over one another, praying for people we don't know, and asking God to move on, on for his name to be known and for his kingdom to grow. But this was both public and private prayer. Here's what I would tell you about the worship aspect of the early church. This isn't a to-do list. Teaching Fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. This wasn't a to-do list. This is a lifestyle. These people were forsaking everything to follow Jesus, to walk in this pathway of Christianity, this newfound faith that, that, they've, that they've been introduced to. Second aspect of the early church that I'd love for us to look at uh, in our time together is work. Maybe not work the way you and I think about it. In in our American context, we get up, we go to work, we clock in or however that works, and we do our job and then we go home. I don't mean work that way. I mean work as in the, the effort that it takes to get something done. So picking up in verse 43, it says, Then fear came over everyone, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. It says, Now all the believers were were together and held all things in common. Verse 45, they sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as anyone had a need. This is just so cool for me. I think one of the first aspects of the work environment that we're looking at is living together. Living together. Living together isn't always easy. If you're married or you have kids or you got other people living in your house uh, outside of you, you'll understand and probably add an amen to this and affirm that it's difficult sometimes. Living together isn't always easy. The group gathered in Acts chapter 2 was a cultural melting pot. This was people from all over the place. When you read the passage, you get to see that these were people from all over the region, Jews from all over the region that had heard this gospel. And the church is the same today, or at least it absolutely should be. The church should be full of diversity today. Doing life in in biblical community, the way it's described here in Acts 2, would be work with so many different people groups and so many different ways of doing things and cultural differences, it would be easy to stay isolated to to hang around with people just like us. But that's not who the church is. That's not, in my opinion, who I believe God called us to be as the church. You see, the the church is called to, to live and love together. That's who we are as a group of people. And not, not only did they do life together, but they were generous to each other in extravagant ways. We see this in the passage in verse 45. They were selling everything they had. They sold everything they had and gave to every, anyone as they had need. And so generosity was a key component 
to the work that they put in. They worked to be generous, not going to work to give away, but they worked at generosity. They worked at generosity. They were voluntarily giving to meet everybody's needs. You see, this this isn't a form of communism. This isn't, hey, take to those who have and give to those who don't have. That's, That's not really the mindset. They gave of their own free will. This, this early church gave out of a heart of love for Jesus and for other people. You see, when, when we live like everything we have belongs to Jesus, it's easy to give to others to, to, to meet their needs. And so that, I think that's what the early church modeled so well for us that we get to see here in Acts 2, is, is they modeled generosity. Nobody had to tell them to meet the needs of others. They were willing, so willing, to sell, literally sell everything they had to meet the needs of someone else. And, and I just believe that's so powerful. We can rest in the biblical truth that God will meet our needs as we live out these principles. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, Paul tells us that Christ-like love is not self-seeking, but it seeks the good of others. And so Paul affirms this, God's word affirms this in so many other ways, in so many other places, that when we live like everything we have belongs to Jesus in the first place, man, it's, it's easy to give to meet the needs of others because I, I know that God gave it to me and I, I know that God's going to supply my needs according to his word and his promises. You see, the next thing in this, in this categories, in these categories of, of characteristics that we look at with the early church is they were a witness. So they, they engaged in worship, they participate in work, and then they proclaim their faith through being a witness. And being a witness maybe looks a little different from time to time. I think contextually, when we look at where we are in life, I think Sometimes it's, it's audibly sharing the gospel. Sometimes it's living out a certain principle uh, and letting God do, do amazing things behind that. But here we look at scripture, it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 46, it says, every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple complex and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with a joyful and humble attitude. That's so good. Praising God. They were praising God and having favor with all the people. And every day the Lord added to them those who were being saved. Every day the Lord added to them those who were being saved. He says they were meeting in the temple courts and they were meeting house to house. You see, the Christian faith, <clears throat> the Christian faith is, not, is a day-to-day reality, not a once-a-week routine. They weren't just going to church on Sunday, going to the temple courts and going, cool, man, I... I checked that box, man. I, I, I participated today. They were, they were, there was a witness to their faith because they were seen. They were, people would see them. These were Jewish temple courts that they would go and meet in. And so you've got a group of Christians meeting in a place where they weren't the predominant group. And so they were meeting there, and it would have been seen by others. This was clear for the early church. In verse 46, we see this. This was clear. And not only did they meet in the temple courts, they also met house to house breaking bread there they had neighborhood takeovers is kind of how I put it in my notes they had small gatherings small group gatherings in homes it was I would imagine it's probably a lot of fun it's just people who wanted to spend more time together growing deeper in their relationship with Jesus and in their relationship with each other their attitudes were great. The, there, there, there wasn't a whole lot of, of bitterness or anger or frustration. I'm sure there, there would be. And we know that you know when you put that many people together, there's bound to be something that is frustrating to different folks. But this, this was a party. I mean, that's just how I imagine it because they were enjoying life in Christ. 
They just began a relationship with Jesus. I mean, like these people literally had just before this said yes to Christ and said, what do we got to do to have this freedom that you've described to be set free from these sins that we've committed? The passage says that they were joyful, they had humble attitudes, and they were praising God. And so for the church, I think there's a couple of questions that I ask. I ask myself this in preparation for sharing this with you today. Do people see the joy of the Lord in me? When I interact with people, do they see the joy of the Lord in me? Do do I experience the joy of the Lord in my daily life? Do I walk in that joy and those promises without without worrying so much and, and being frustrated or bitter or angry? Do I walk in the freedom and the joy that comes from knowing Christ, knowing that not only has he met my greatest need, which is salvation, but he meets my daily needs. He goes before me, he comes behind me, he's always with me, he never forsakes us as we walk with him. Do do people see the joy that comes from that in our lives? You see, I believe this, the church is meant to have a positive impact in the community, a positive impact in the community. In verse 46, in the back half of verse 46, we see that it says they had favor with all the people. You see, this to me is a testament to how they interacted with the folks around them that maybe didn't believe and act the way they did. As they were engaged in a community of people that was so diverse in so many different ways and people that were different from them that didn't believe what they believed. They didn't understand this. Why do you feel this way? Why are you acting this way? They didn't understand. But these people were, they were interacting with them. They were having a positive impact because I saw this this week, Christians are to be clothed with the beauty of holiness. A bride on her wedding day wearing a white dress is a beautiful thing. There's beauty in that. It, it literally feels almost like a holy moment. As believers, as followers of Christ, as disciples of Jesus, we're to be clothed with the beauty of holiness. See, Matthew 5, 16 says to, to let your light so shine before men that, that the others, the other people around you will see your good works and they'll glorify your Father in heaven. And so righteous living is a testimony to those who don't know Christ and to the community at large. And so the witness that we're talking about is in this early church, the, 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 day, the day-to-day reality of living out their faith, not just a once-a-week routine, the, the positive impact that they had on the community based on their, their countenance and the joy in their heart and their attitudes. And they were getting along with people and they were, they were sharing everything they had. And it was just this great big idea of, man, this is going to work. God is going to do what he said he would do. He is trustworthy and faithful, and this is going to work. What does the community say? Whatever community you're a part of, whether you're in, a, in this local area where I, where I am, where this message is coming to you from, or whether you're halfway around the world, what, what, if you're involved in the local church, and I'm not talking about the building, I'm talking about the group of believers that you, that you spend time with, what does your community say about your church? What does your community say about the disciples of Christ? What does your community, what's the impact that the body of Christ has had in your community? And I'm not talking about the building. What does the community think when you tell them you're a believer? See, Acts, 42, Acts 2, verse 47 See, it tells us very clearly what happens when God's people live as the church. The Lord, the pastor says, the Lord added to them 
to them daily, those who were being saved. This is a daily movement of God to draw people into a relationship with him as we live out, as his followers, as disciples, live out the gospel in this way. You see, the same Holy Spirit that, that was at work in Acts 2 that we've talked about today that, that so moved on people to give them boldness and excitement and passion to live in a very specific way that set the world on fire, that the world around them noticed, the community notices. The same Holy Spirit that was at work right then is the same Holy Spirit that's at work today transforming you and I as the church to be like Jesus, to change our lives and to change the communities that we're a part of with the gospel of Jesus to expand his kingdom and to make his name known for him to build a bridge of relationship into the lives of the people that we do life with day in and day out. Takeaway today, you see, when, when people are unified, the early church was unified. When people are unified and Christ is magnified, the church will be multiplied. That is the great commission. I hear so much and read so much about church growth and how do we reach and how do we grow. When we, when the church is unified, the people, when the body of Christ is unified, and when Christ is magnified, when we glorify his name and we lift him up and praise him with everything we have, the church will be multiplied because here's the thing, Jesus is the one who grows the church. It's not up to us, it's up to us to live passionately for Jesus. The best church growth strategy I know is to be passionately filled with the Holy Spirit and live on fire for Jesus. Acts 2, verse 38, I said this earlier, Peter preaches the gospel and he lets everybody know that, that Jesus is both Lord and Messiah. Jesus is the one that they had been waiting for, that they've read about so many times over since so they heard about and when the people heard this message, they asked the right question, what must we do because of what we've heard? And Peter told him very clearly, he said, you need to repent and be baptized. Repent of the sin in your life that separates you from God and confess Christ as Lord and you will be forgiven. See, the Lord added 3,000 people to the church on that day, that one day. Repentance leads to church growth and they went from 120 to 3,120 because people realize their need of a Savior and that Savior is Jesus. So I want to ask you today, if you're, no matter where you are in your faith, are you, are you, if you're a follower of Christ, are you living out these, this, these characteristics, this, this worship and, and work and, and witness, are you living these things out, this generosity and, and prayer and devoting yourself to teaching and prayer and fellowship and the breaking of bread, are, are you doing those things? Are you doing those things as a, as a follower of Christ? Is that where you are today? Man, I encourage you to, to, to get before the Lord and spend time with him and let him guide you into a deeper relationship with him so that you can have the passion and excitement that he wants to put in our hearts, the joy that will overflow from us into the community around us so that people can know the name of Jesus and know his love and his mercy and his grace. If you don't have a relationship with Christ today, I can tell you as much as these people asked, hey, we've heard this message about this Jesus and I know that, that I have sin that separates me from God, but I'd like to have a relationship with him. 
It's, it's as simple, if you confess Christ as your Lord and Savior and you ask him for forgiveness of your sin, he promises that you'll be saved. And then the next step is for you to follow Jesus, to be baptized, to take these early steps of your faith and watch God do miraculous things in your life as you, as you follow him passionately and obediently. And so as we conclude today, if, if, if something in this message has, has sparked questions, ideas, thoughts, if we can be a resource for you if, you, if you made a decision for Jesus, we want to celebrate that with you more than anything in the world. We want to be a resource for you to help you take these next steps in your faith. We want to celebrate and be a resource for you. If you've got questions about your faith and you're walking with Christ and just struggling in a different way, we'd love to be a resource for you as well. Follow the links on the screen. Get in touch with us. We'd love to help you. God bless you. We look forward to connecting with you soon. If you made that decision today to say, yes, I do want to choose Jesus. I do want to acknowledge him as my personal Lord and Savior. Congratulations. We could not be more excited for you. And we want to help you in that process and answer any questions that you might have and provide you resources. To do that, simply text Jesus, that's J-E-S-U-S, to 706-449-0870. And one of our pastors on staff will be in touch with you because we want to help you as you walk out your faith. If you thought, you know what, I would like to contribute to all that God is doing in and through Southside. I would like to partner with them. You can do that in three simple ways. First, you can text GIVE, G-I-V-E, to 706-449-0870. Secondly, you can do it on the Southside app in the GIVE tab. Lastly, Southside.online. You can do it through the GIVE section on our website. Thank you so much for being here with us today, and we hope you have a great rest of your week.